Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Disney launched co-ed pop group The Party in 1990 as a spinoff of their recently rebooted variety TV series, The All-New Mickey Mouse Club. But by 1993, with four albums and only a moderate number of hits under their belt, the group abruptly disbanded, leaving fans with their swan song, I Wish You Peace. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I don't know anything about the party. I mean, I, I did shit. do some Googling. Okay, okay. As long, I mean, and, you know, and I sent you a playlist of like yeah. my no, my I, favorites. I, I, I'll be able to participate in the conversation because I listened to the music. Oh, I'm going to need you to do more than participate. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I swear the longer we do this, the worse I get at composing complete thoughts or outlines or scripts for myself. I have a cloud of thoughts. I think I, so with this one, I'm, I'm very deeply personally invested in the party and I really have a lot of feelings. I have a, I would say a cloud of feelings that has subsumed me Mm -hmm. all these years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but kind of, it's like that thing that they do when they have to shear sheep and they have to, what is it? Card the wool, you know? Yeah. You shear the sheep and you just have this mess of wool and yeah. lanolin and dirt and lamb fur shit. And <laughs> they take those two brushes and they they kind of card the wool so that the strands all line up and everything becomes orderly so it can become yarn. I our, I, I do not have a yarn for you today. <laughs> our listeners. Um I don't know if they expect anything less. Are, are treated to such knowledge. I mean, like <laughs> now you know how your wool rug was made. I or feel your like favorite that was sweater. From, that was like from an episode of a Reading Rainbow, I think. Right? Like there was like a wasn't there like a Reading Rainbow episode where Lavar Burton went to like a Amish? See, I don't Amish town, and he learned he he taught us about what bartering is. See, I remember Reading Rainbow. I remember the opening of it. I remember him introducing books. I don't actually remember any of the episodes. The things I remember are more like Mister Rogers, like when Mister oh. Rogers went to the Graham Cracker Factory or the Crayon Factory. Oh, the Crayon Factory video. That's epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when they melted the wax into the little molds. I was just like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but no, anyway. the, the, the party is an interesting... So when you mentioned that this was something you wanted to do, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize... Like, I didn't even know how you knew them. You might be a little young. Like, you're not that much younger than me, but I'm on... I feel like the yeah. party and the new Mickey Mouse Club on the Disney Channel, it really hit like a really small segment of age groups. Well, well, let's talk about that really quickly because well, I also okay. didn't... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I didn't really watch the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, no, I was just saying that like it, it really hit this small segment of people, I think, age-wise. Mm. And then you know, like Disney Channel was in the 80s. Um, it was like a premium cable yeah. station. Yeah, like, we didn't have. Did it. you? Okay. Did you have cable? Did you have cable no. in the eighties? No. Oh, okay. No. So, so I mean, my grandma did, and so what she okay. would do is she would tape like four out. You know, however long like a VHS tape you could tape because sometimes you could do like four hours. And she oh, would, yeah, like, you, you hit that whatever the LP setting. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. Would record like shitty, terrible video for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. <laughs> So she would record blocks of the Disney Channel and send it to us. Mm. And so my brothers and I would like watch, you know, the Disney cartoons and all those things like yeah. on loop 
from these tapes. But it never, it was funny, it was never like the the Disney Channel programming, if that makes sense. It was always like Winnie the Pooh or like yeah, yeah, yeah. the Merry Melodies or something like that. A wholesome family fun yeah. from Disney. But never, um, Dis- never Mickey Mouse Club. Like I, that well, was not part of it. And this is the thing is that my family first got cable television, I think in 1987, maybe late 1986. I was like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my dad opted to pay the extra money for Disney Channel. Because now Disney Channel is part of basic cable, right? Like we get yeah. so many channels as part of basic cable. But back in the 80s, like one, there were very few cable channels comparatively. Mm. And the programming was pretty terrible. Mm. I don't in, look in retrospect. I don't understand why we paid for cable because back in the eighties, like Bravo used to play like opera. Like it was truly an arts and entertainment channel. Mm-hmm. It was for classical Barry, music. Barry, it opera still is. <laughs> <laughs> or so I'm told. I don't know what time that is. Um, but like the Disney channel was on the premium side of things, which meant that like you were paying an extra fee in addition to your basic cable. So that was in the tier with like HBO and Showtime and Cinemax and um, the movie channel. Mm. So for whatever reason, my dad opted to pay for that. And for the first few years, Disney channel really did not have a lot of original programming at all. Like the vast majority of things on the Disney channel were like, you'd catch like the old Mickey Mouse shorts occasionally when stuff came out of the vault, you know, those classic movies, like they would occasionally air them on the Disney channel, the old Mickey Mouse club. So the original Mickey Mouse club with Annette Funicello from like the fifties, they used to air that. Oh, And then I do remember this one block of programming that they used to run where they would take like oldies and they would create music videos out of old Disney shorts, but just run like, oldies underneath them yeah so that's how i why i know the song yakety yak because yes. of the disney channel oh like my there gosh was a music video for yak because because that was part of the tape right there was there was yeah. one um <laughs> what's that song um summer in the city um where it's like hot damn summer in the city it's from the 60s okay okay it it was like it was played over like a montage of goofy like driving in traffic like you mm-hmm. get it like right or yeah. or like let's hear it for the boy mm-hmm. was like all about all the dis like disney there was like donald duck goofy and mickey and yeah oh this is like i didn't know that that was okay because i was always yeah. trying to figure that out like where that came this is from. like tailor-made for your childhood because it's mm-hmm. like if your parents want just family-friendly entertainment set to a soundtrack of horribly outdated music <laughs> it's, it's perfect you until you mentioned it like i didn't realize that was the context in which it was created like that it, the, yeah, like yeah. in the landscape of the uh, of that programming well because i think that like back then all these fledgling cable networks even like i remember when nickelodeon was on in the beginning and there was very little original programming on it and there was a point where all the cable stations actually just went off air because they ran out of programming. Most of them, like you hit 11 PM, I think. Mm. And it just goes to like bars Mm. and it's like, we'll return at like 7 AM or something. So anyway, we were a fancy family. We had the Disney channel. Yeah, you were. I know it was so random. I was limited to like broadcast. And that was at the time I think I was still watching like 
Like we would, we would have, I remember like we would have to be home because this was obviously before like DVR and anything. Like mm-hmm. you had to be home to watch something. So. Oh yeah. Y- yeah. on like those weekends, the long weekends where we'd go visit. I grew up in central California and we'd visit my aunt and uncle down in LA and it was about three hour drive and we'd always come home on Sunday afternoons. But I remember there were sometimes where like we'd be watching the clock because I wanted to be home in time to watch Star Trek on Sunday evening. <laughs> or, you know, and that started at seven. So, like, if we were still hanging around at four o'clock at my aunt's house, I was like, we're, we're going to miss it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. it's a, it was like the wild, wild west back then. I was thinking about, because a part of what happens to the Mickey Mouse Club and to the party and mm-hmm. Disney Channel and whatnot is that at a certain point, like, the Mickey Mouse Club, went, the all new Mickey Mouse Club from the 90s, like, once it gets canceled, I, and I remember this from my childhood, the airing schedule gets modified. Mm. You know, and it goes from five days a week to four days a week. And then in its final seasons, it goes down to like one day a week. And then they change the time slot from like 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. For the Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah, it, it, oh. it started, to, they started to phase it out. And I remember as a kid just being really confused and always missing it because back then there was definitely no interactive guide. Like the way that we navigate television now where you can like, on demand like look at the television schedule in advance and actively scroll through channels like that was a totally foreign thing i remember that when they had the like the tv guide channel that just had the continuously scrolling thing like it would passively scroll through all the channels so if you wanted to know what was on within the next 90 minutes you had to sit there and and, like watch it scroll through every single channel on a loop and if you missed it you had to sit there for like another minute and a half just to see your channel come back around yeah um infuriating i don't know how we ever understood what time thing what times things were well remember there was the tv guide book yeah that's oh yeah yeah yeah. remember like you'd get it at the supermarket or or you could look at jeers well and it used to also be in the newspaper you check the newspaper. Oh yeah, my and dad. My dad. Listings. My dad was a big TV listing. Yeah, and yeah. my dad to, like, was look the, and see what he was, was like happening. circling stuff on yeah. the newspaper yeah. for when he yeah. wanted to watch it on TV. You, if you wanted to, you know, you, oh my god, and then to not even talk about um, the 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 drama of trying to set your VCR to record something in advance. Oh, always and, fucked uh, up. Oh my god, and like hoping that it was on the right channel. You got to queue up your position in your VHS tape but to you, make sure you don't record over your previous but recordings. But you know, my aunt like. The older people were good at that because they were taping their stories during the day. You know, yeah, their soap I operas. Mean, that's the thing. Is that, and then when that whole system gets upended and you get into DVR land, it's just confusion all over again. Like they, they spent so much of their lives learning to program a VCR and then yeah. that, that knowledge is completely useless. I know. I had to like, <sighs> for my grandparents, when my grandparents got like digital television, they got like the paid Japanese language cable station and then they would also rent dvd like bootleg dvds Mm. of japanese programming from japan and having to like explain to them how what how to change the channel on their television to this japanese station and then also how to switch the source to their dvd player and then how to play a dvd when they had spent years just one only having like the basic japanese language television Uh that airs in san francisco and then vhs tapes it was like we ended up like i think i took like a marker and i just like blacked out the buttons that they needed to like hit to (laughs) get things to happen yeah and then there was like a little chart that just said like push like this color button this color button and this color button anyway how do we i've been talking to adam about this 
because <laughs> he keeps wanting me to play video games with him and okay. uh i don't like playing video games i have never okay. really liked playing them no same but it, it stresses me out and yeah. and but as 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 that becomes more the norm right more that's like gaming is the norm as you see like technology moving in this direction where you know it's picking pulling from gaming technology and there's going to be vr and all this stuff i was like do i need to start now so that when i am old i can function in the world because it's going to go towards <laughs> yeah. that right like like i yeah. can see it now and i can see me being like your grandparent being like i don't know how to do this you know because i never yeah. got into it and I like mean, that video whole games thing completely lost me when they moved into 3d space like once the yeah. controllers had like the two sides and there was like up down left right and then there was yeah. the kind of like the swivelly, swivelly knob. yeah and then two buttons up top mm-hmm. i was like i too don't much. Ha- too much too much i don't know how to navigate the space i just bump into walls and shit so yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, what I is it going to be like one day? Like we have to strap our phone to our head and like <laughs> navigate our phone with like knobs. Like, well, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like VR would be is one thing, but I, yeah, I feel like that's, you know, it's like, it's like how like kids are coding or whatever. And they're yeah. talking about, you know, I remember when we, you know, when I first started, um, in the marketing field and like, yeah, I had to know base, I had to learn basic HTML, you know, to do certain things. And I felt very accomplished. And at this point, like, I've not had to do it in a long time. But it's like, yeah, code is everywhere. That's how we're going to do all these other things. And it's like, do I need to know more now? I mean, like, what do I need to yeah. be doing, right? Like, what language? Like, am I becoming a fossil very quickly? Oh, we're already we're already there. I, I, I mean, it takes me fully, like, 20 minutes to post an Instagram story. <laughs> I, I know, and, and I know, just, I know. And they just changed it. You know, they know. just changed it again. And I'm I'm like, I just figured out what, how to use the last fucking thing. Whenever, whenever I see your Instagram stories, I'm like, I'm like, aw, like he did it. Because <laughs> I know you're always talking about how hard it is. It's so hard. Well, it's also hard to figure out like what the rules are, right? Like I, it took me a long time to realize that like, like we were trying to like repost, yeah. Sorry. Like repost stories or repost oh, yeah. posts. Like you need to be tagged in something yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You have to be tagged in in someone's story to share their story. Yeah. You don't have to be tagged to share their post, but also it's like, how do you? I don't know. Some of these people like the, how quickly they're able to post a video of something. I'm like, like just just getting to the point of like recording your screen so that you can post a video in your story that like actually mm-hmm. plays you know it, it yeah it is so much of it is like you have to figure it out which yeah and here we are we sound ancient talking about the here we are podcast promotion 101 we're getting a solid c minus <laughs> we go fully we go fully like ghosting everyone on instagram for like months at a time well i i also can't figure out how to post a playlist a spotify playlist that allows you to like play it right from the screen, from the story. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know that that's. I don't think we're popular enough to have oh, that I functionality. Think you can, can you do that? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, you can add the. You can add. I don't know if you can do it to. Um, when you make a story using like the Spotify share thing, I don't know if you can then add a music widget to it. No. To link. So what happens is because I saw it on on this you know someone else's who has a podcast i saw they posted a playlist and they were kind of going through in real time sort of wait can you open it can you know all these things and then 
I then he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, you can click on it; it will open. And under the username in the top left corner, it says "Open in Spotify." Donors do that? No, I don't I think so. They, I think they do. Oh. If you if you go to Spotify, oh God, we're just going through like I know we're gonna, here we are a bunch of old men yelling at clouds. Yeah, follow us on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> at Flop Redeemer. You might get some shit. Okay, sure. <laughs> and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or if you want to teach us how to use social media, uh-huh. you can email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. We are taking a webinar. <laughs> this is true. We signed up for a webinar. So I, I, I'm skeptical of what that's going to be, but I, you know, I always, whatever. I always hope I, you always hope that there's going to be like the, um, what is it? Golden bullet, magic bullet, silver magic bullet. bullet, silver, bu- no silver bullets kills people. Isn't the magic bullet? Yeah, but it's a, it's still the silver bullet. Uh, well, I guess magic bullet. Yes, but the magic bullet, I mean, the, the thing that's going to solve all your problems. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I always hope that I'm going to like read an article or attend a webinar or something. And it's going to be the thing that solves all my problems and explains to me something that never occurred to me before in my life. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment. We signed up because my, my friend Karen recommended this or yeah. she sent it to, to us. Thank she's you, Karen. A, she's a subscriber to um, these wait, email wait, lists wait, wait, wait. through like the, the public library. That's my house. Oh, OK. The motorcycle. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a very... Oh, yeah, yeah. There okay. was a, a loud motorcycle passing me. Apologies. <laughs> no, it's okay. Email us at flopperdeemer at gmail.com if you want to complain about micro- motorcycle noise. Anyway, maybe we should take a break. <laughs> yeah, let's go to break. <laughs> so we that we can reset. actually start the episode. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for uh, sitting through this with us. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And I was explaining to Jason that I'm unprepared for this. I become more and more unprepared or less and less prepared as time goes on. But I do have a thing. I, I can kind of kick this off. Okay. I'm hoping you have thoughts and feelings. And I have thoughts and feelings about... Did you li- you listen to a lot of... Or do you listen I did. To the I listened. Okay. So I went on spot. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll talk about it. Yeah. It's hard to get like a f- complete picture of the party without like listening to all the stuff because it's so random. Anyway. Hello. Today we're talking about the song I Wish You Peace by the pop group The Party. This is the last track on the last album released by The Party in 1993, aptly titled The Party's Over. Thanks for coming. So The Party is a five-member co-ed pop group formed from the cast of the all-new Mickey Mouse Club, which aired on the Disney Channel from 1989 to 1996. And um, between 1990 and 1993, they released four albums before going their separate ways. In their time together, they achieved limited chart success, their most successful single being a 1991 cover of the Dawkins song, In My Dreams, which peaked at number 34 on the Billboard Hot 100. This last album, The Party's Over, Thanks for Coming, that we're talking about today, it actually produced no singles. It was released very abruptly and without any promotion. Mm. You know, we were talking about how difficult it was to figure out when stuff was on TV mm-hmm. in those days because the channel guide and stuff didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was very similar for music promotion. Yeah. That like y- you could listen to the radio or you could watch MTV to find out when things were coming out. But if artists that you like didn't have those avenues available to them, then it was hard to figure out when things were coming out. And in those days, like my family, we lived up the street from um, the warehouse, 
which was uh, a combo like record store slash yeah. video rental yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I used to actually um, sometimes after school or on the weekends, like if I was just bored, I would just walk down there and, you know, you'd go and you'd flip through the racks of CDs and just kind of see what was out there. I feel like it was just a thing you did. No, I'm, I'm, that, yeah, that, there was like Sam Goody. Yeah. You lost know. art of just aimlessly going to the record store and flipping mm-hmm. through racks of mm-hmm. CDs. And so it was only because of that, that I actually saw this CD come out. It was rather shocking to me because. Were you, were you a fan of like the, the, cause you were watching Disney channel. So like when you saw it, even though you didn't know that it had come out, I mean, were you fans of them? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the only reason that I want to talk about this because Ah. I don't think that this group holds a whole lot of cultural relevance to anybody (laughs) except for like the limited group of people that was really into the Mickey Mouse Club. And so for those years of like 1990 to 1993, like the party was my everything, right? Yeah. Like that was in the limited amount of music that I was exposed to between the ages of like nine and 12. This was like the first kind of, it felt cool. They felt like they were adults, even though they were like 15, you know, (laughs) but to me it was like, Oh, like this is cool, you know? And so I had, I definitely had my finger on the pulse of the party. So, so, so when this song came out, they were, they were like teenagers. They were, yeah. Were they older? I, I couldn't get a sense of that. Don't, don't, don't quote me on this. Don't, I, my math might be a little bit off, but the members of the party it was Dee Dee, Chase, Damon, Albert, and Tiffany. They were kind of among the oldest group of Mickey Mouse Club okay. cast members. They were part of the first season of Mickey Mouse Club. And even at that time, they were kind of like older than some of the other kids. Like yeah. some of the kids on that show, I think they were maybe as young as like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I think that this group of kids was like 14 at the time. Okay. So they would have formed the group in 90. They would have been 14 and 15 and then by the 1993, they would have been like 17, 18. Okay. Um, and so what was the question? <laughs> oh, no, I just, I didn't know how old, I mean, I thought they were older based on the kind of music it was, but I oh, was no, trying to I, place how, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird because they were decidedly very young. Well, and I was also, rewatching yeah. some of the first season of Mickey Mouse Club when they were like 13 and 14 maybe cuz I think they were born they were all born in like 75 maybe. Yeah, I think cuz cuz I think what confused me was part of it not having any familiarity with them and then looking at the album art, looking at some of their pictures the early 90s styling mm-hmm. like fashion styling they look older. You know, like, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't sure thing, though. Yeah, I feel like I I, I feel like kids that were 14 and 15 in the 80s seemed decidedly young. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into the 90s, kids that are 14 and 15 seem older. Yeah. Like in terms of any episode of style and dressing and. Um, like I'm just thinking about girls that I went to middle school with that, like Mm -hmm. there was like a distinct you hit puberty, you start dressing differently, right? Like it wasn't unusual for girls when I went to middle school, where I went to middle school, like at age 13, suddenly between sixth and seventh grade, girls come back from the summer and they're wearing, um, I mean, in, in those days it was the, uh, brown lip liner with like nude lipstick. (laughs) Where did you go to high school? (laughs) 
or middle, middle school. school yeah yeah okay san francisco no you know what i guess that's i guess that's true i, I was also thinking of like the very like done hair like yeah. the kind of crunchy hair like you know nothing very natural and i think not that when it's really done mm-hmm. it, and every all the boys had gel because i think of like zach morris and you know all that from like say by the bell like there's so much product and so much grooming i think that it makes you feel older because I don't I feel like that wasn't as much in the 80s and then after yeah like now like you and I mean you know. the party in particular though it, it it is shocking to think of like you know you look at like their first album cover and then to think like oh they're all 15 mm. they're all 15 years old and like I just remember that like Albert had like um hoop earrings and little like little circle sunglasses they all looked really <laughs> they, they, they looked older than they were yeah and to my recollection of me being like 10 years old at the time they seemed like adults you know yeah i mean i i thought they were adults based on this album cover oh no fully fully children fully fully children <laughs> oh my god yeah because if they were if that was 1990 and they were all born in like 75 they would have been 15 yeah i mean they all look like they look like they're the cast of friends <laughs> you know famously people in their 30s yeah no, so so anyway <laughs> okay <laughs> What were we even talking about? So the, this is a, the, the, they're really not a big time act, right? Like they never really hit it big. So for me to justify the redemption of this, yeah. I think we've always been searching for like, why this, why this? It's that they were really important to me personally. Like they were a big deal to me. I had one other friend in middle school, Melissa, and she was also really into the party. And we used to just gab just hours and hours on end about the party. And felt like, you know, something super special. It felt like a special thing that, like, not everyone was into. And Wait. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, go into that. Like, why? Like, I, I'm just curious. Okay, okay. Oh, sorry. I don't know if that's further down in your... in your. No, there is no... Oh, well, actually, next bullet point on my script, it says, why is the party important to me? Question mark. Followed by five line breaks with nothing. <laughs> so I, I think it was this thing where, okay, one, when you start out with the Mickey Mouse Club, were, were you one of those kids that you would see other kids on television and you would just get starry eyed and very like, I, I felt like I was like that. And I don't know if at a young age, I just had this desire to be like a public figure or like, mm. you just, you just aspire to like, you see these kids on TV, they're singing, they're dancing, mm-hmm. they're acting mm-hmm. and they're they all look like you or they're all about, about your age. Yeah. And you yeah. just have that aspiration. I did, I did want to be famous in that way. Yeah. I remember in on local TV in San Francisco, there was like a kid's news break that they used to do during like afternoon mm-hmm. children's programming. Mm-hmm. And they called like local kids mm. to do these like news reports. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. No, I did. I did want to do that. There was a, there was a sort of, I wanted the spotlight in that way. Yeah. I didn't know. I couldn't put a finger on it, but it was like, yeah, I wanted to be part of that. But yeah. So, so for me, like that was the Mickey Mouse Club, like to see all these kids, they're like exceptionally talented, right? Mm -hmm. These are, because the Mickey Mouse Club is like a variety television show. They do sketch comedy, they do musical numbers and they do interview segments. So these are like true, like triple threat children, like singing and dancing and acting their way through young adulthood. And as a contemporary of those kids it just always seemed like very it, it gave me the ooh-ahs you know mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The ooh, ah. <laughs> so there was that aspect to it and so when the party launched 
the one thing that I think stood out to me, maybe subconsciously at the time, is that they're a very diverse group of people, um, uh, particularly that Didi Magno is Filipino. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that it wasn't necessarily a thing to talk about back then, that like representation matters, mm-hmm. but it truly does. Like it, it, if you don't know what that feeling is like to see yourself mm-hmm. suddenly so closely reflected mm-hmm. back at you from your television screen after never having seen yourself on a television yeah. screen. Yeah, it's, no, it's, you're right. It's something that you you might not realize the importance of. Yeah, no, it's it's so you mentioned Didi and you know, I didn't know her on the party. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I looked into her on oh, you know yeah. Wikipedia that I was like, oh, I've known okay, she was the Asian girl in the classroom in Sister Act Two. Yeah. And one you, line. She has one line. She has in one line. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she stood out to me and 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 that brings me to uh in Sister Act Two, there is a Filipino kid as part of the choir. And he he's oh, yeah, one yeah, of yeah. the guys, right? That was the first representation of a Filipino kid that I remember that stuck with me because, you know, to your point about like, you know, you get starry eyed at this time and you're like seeing this. I had wanted to be something in in like in entertainment. Yeah. And, you know, at that time I, I was fascinated by it, but I never thought I could because I never... I, I never, the age thing didn't matter to me. It was like people like me, I didn't see. And yeah. so I, when I saw him, like, even though he has like no lines, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I could be in a movie or something, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause it's those things that I don't know if as a kid, it even computed to me that that was important, mm-hmm. but you just get that funny feeling of like, why am I so into this? Right. Cause I think that like, we're so into the idea of like, oh, a colorblind society in a melting pot. But I always felt like that kind of comes from the perspective of like people who see themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. like, if you don't ever see yourself and then suddenly one day you do see yourself represented, it it's like a revelation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think at that age, I didn't understand why, but I knew it was, it was um, significant that Dee Dee was Asian American, mm-hmm. you know, and not only that, but she by far is the best singer in the party. <laughs> Hands down. Every one of my favorite, the party songs is a DD song. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can pick her voice out, but I trust you. It's, it, I mean, to think of the fact that like she was like 14 or 15 years old when they recorded this album, she has like a oddly deep and sultry female voice. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. Tiffany Tiffany was the solid pop singer. She was very much the Deborah Gi- Deborah Gibson, the Debbie Gibson, Deborah, Deborah. N- now Deborah Gibson, but yeah. Dee Dee was like the sultry, like she could do like soulful R and B type of mm. vocals. Okay, but yeah, so I think I feel like that's that placed a lot of importance. Yeah, no, I for think, me. I, and I think I think that's definitely five line breaks worth of yeah, you know. Because I put, okay, lower on my outline where after the blank parts, it just says diversity, exclamation point, and Asians, exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, like, I think like it's, it's, it's important to, to look at this group and realize that truly they were like a United Colors of Benetton ad. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like why the party never really worked out, like they never really took off. I think that there's a few different angles to come at this story from. 
One part of it is that in that they're a diverse group of people and they have a a rather diverse range of voices and personalities, I don't think that they ever got a handle on what kind of music the party was going to make. They had this mix of pop songs, kind of like R&B tinged songs. There were parts where like Damon would rap sometimes, sometimes Albert would rap. Um, Dee Dee always had more like slow, soulful ballads. And then sometimes Chase would just sing like an alternative rock song, not an alternative rock, but like a rock song. Like on the same album? Yeah. Okay. And that was part of like what I think is weird about groups, especially co-ed groups, because mm. co-ed groups I think are an exceptional rarity in the U S especially when there is no designated lead vocalist mm. to kind of anchor the group to a sound. You have five different people with five different voices, all recording songs in different genres where maybe other people from the group appear in the backing vocals, but by and large, a lot of the songs are either solos or duets. Interesting. So I didn't know that that was... Because I didn't listen to albums. I just listened to like yeah. their top whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I guess I didn't... I, that, that That is an interesting sort of thing. The majority of their top songs on Spotify. And keep in mind, like, actually these... So the party's catalog was actually not available for streaming until like last month. Like they just got the oh. deal through Hollywood records to release their music through okay. streaming. So all this stuff is very, very new. Uh-huh. But in that, in the first set of singles that they were releasing, there was like, I think the first single from them was summertime or a no, summer vacation. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I feel like in that time, like 1990, like we were all about summer jams. So everyone needed yeah. a summer jam. Mm-hmm. So they released summer vacation, which had like rap. And then they did, I found love which was a Tiffany song, which mm-hmm. was straight up just like a pop song, mm-hmm. a pop song that had like kettle, it had like kettle drum to it. It almost sounded like um, they were trying to do a riff on um, under the sea. <laughs> you know, That's I found love. Yeah. And then like when they released, I, uh, when they released in my dreams as part of their second album, and that was like a breakout hit for Dee Dee. That was like a weird mishmash of like, electronic dance rock. Yeah. So in listening, cause I kind of went like chronologically, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess I did pick up on the fact that their styles were so divergent, you know, between tracks because yeah, listening to that, listening to, I found love. I'm like, wait, what did they, what kind of music do they make? But I, yeah. I didn't put it together that it was like changing depending on who was the lead singer. But um, yeah, I think, I yeah. think part of it is that they were all very different singers. And then, they were probably just throwing shit against a wall to see what stuck because like all the stuff that appears on the first album, I think that they were really aiming towards them being more of a pop R and B group, you know, with the exception of I want to be your boyfriend, which was like, I think the only chase song on the whole first album, everything else has more of like a, um, like they would later, they would start working with like Teddy Riley Huh. And yeah, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Dre. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about Teddy Riley in regards to SWV. Yep. Yep. Right. Because it was that early nineties, the new Jack swing thing was happening. That style, that style of music was on the up and up. And so they actually worked with Teddy Riley on, I think the third album. Yeah. But what's interesting is that, um, after their first album, which was mostly pop and R and B tinged, they released the second album in the meantime, in between time, 
1991. And I remember when they, when they announced the release of this album on the Mickey Mouse Club, it was announced as not a full album. It was something to tide over the fans while they recorded their official second album. So a lot of the stuff on this album was probably either outtakes from the first album or remixes of stuff from the first album. Because mm-hmm. notably, like, I didn't realize it until I was looking over this track listing yesterday, but the majority of the songs on In the Meantime, In Between Time are covers. Because they did In My Dreams, which is a Dawkin cover. They did um, Peace, Love, and Understanding, which is Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, They did I Know What Boys Like, which is a waitress's song. Um, Spiders and Snakes is a cover by somebody. (laughs) And then um, My Generation, which is uh, Rolling Stones? Is that, I don't, you know. The Who? No, wait. I don't know who that is. You don't know who The Who is? I mean, I know who they are. I'm just, I don't know what song this is. Oh, hold on. talking about my generation. It's The Who. Sorry. I'm listening to it now, but I mean, it could be a Prince song for all I know. Listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they released the, I mean, so, so their biggest hit actually comes from this non-album album, interestingly, you know? Okay. And. The In My Dreams I, song. In My Dreams. Yeah. Right. And then I'm guessing that that had an influence on what they did with their official second album free aka their third album free yeah because they really pull back on all of chase's kind of like rocker aspiration type of songs Mm -hmm. and they lean heavily into dd and albert and r&b songs they actually like there's not a lot of tiffany swing type of yeah there's point. a lot of there's a lot less of Tiffany on this album. There's a lot less of Damon on this album. Damon in particular, though, I you know when they were when they were workshopping or when they were announcing that this group was going to be formed on the Mickey Mouse Club, like they had a whole event around it. Like, who are the members going to be? You know, and when they announced it, I was like, oh, okay. I was kind of surprised because there were other members of the cast that I thought would have been in contention, mm-hmm. specifically because on the Mickey Mouse Club there was always kids that were more singers and dancers and then there were the kids that were more on the acting side of things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like very rarely did any of them like the carrie do... russells yeah like carrie russell was definitely more of an actress part of that cast versus like justin timberlake justin timberlake was okay kind of i mean it's funny because even like ryan gosling sang on the mickey mouse club mm-hmm. but there were definitely kids on the mickey mouse club that you like never saw them sing mm. but anyway Damon, I described Damon as like, he kind of disappears from the group because he was rapping for a while, but then he's really like a, a talk singer. He's like the, um, the guy from Cameo. Uh, like that like, word up, you know? Well, yeah. The it's gap band, but, yeah. But, you know, to read about him, it's like he, he went on to do his own, like, or went on to, to do more like R&B stuff on his own. So it's, it's, it's interesting that, he was more of a talk singer here. I think he tried to do, I think he also tried to do, keep doing acting. I remember mm. he yeah. was on, um, what was that MTV sex show called? Undressed? MTV oh, yeah. Undressed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he was on an episode of MTV Undressed and I was like, that's Damon Pompolina. Okay. Good for him. Yeah, I used to anyway. like that show. Well, he's, he's also, he's also kind of like the traditional dark brooding looking heartthrob. He's like the heartthrob. Yeah, of the group. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, yeah. He fulfilled a role in that yeah, group. Yeah, I was like, they, they, they definitely make a good looking group of kids. 
so yeah, so they get this mishmash of musical output and it's, it's starting to maybe refine itself into this pop R&B sphere. Okay. Kind of centered around, I feel, Albert and Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. But following the success of In My Dreams, they can't quite replicate that again with this follow-up. Mm. And after this album fails to take off, this is when reportedly Damon leaves the group. And this is like uh, 92. Mm. And the promotion kind of stops. Mickey Mouse Club still goes on. But then suddenly in 1993, this final album drops. Like no promotion, no explanation, no cross promotion with the Mickey Mouse Club at this point. Like on this, at this point in 1993, the Mickey Mouse Club is also kind of reaching um, its peak, but also starting to fade away. Mm-hmm. And what I had read and I didn't realize at the time, because there was, again, there was no promotion for this album, is that this album was primarily compiled from outtakes from the recording of their previous album, Free. Oh, so it was like a, like a composite. Yeah. It's, I think it's all the tracks that they recorded that just were rejected from the previous album. <laughs> it's a recipe for success. It really is this kind of return to the mishmash of mm-hmm, music, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. you do, you get a Chase song and then you get a Tiffany song and then you get Damon covering You Dropped a Bomb on Me for no reason. Because <laughs> did anyone even like that song when it first came out? I didn't. Wait, the, the Charlie, uh, Charlie mm-hmm. Wilson? You, you dropped you, a bomb on me. Boo! You don't like that song? You don't like that song? Like the original? No. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. Oh, God. Um, and no, but so, so, he, so he left the group, but he still shows up on the third album. Well, that was okay. So, so, this is my personal recollection is that when this album came out and I just snatched it up right away. I open it up, read the liner notes and there's, um, there's liner notes written by the whole band except for Damon. Ah. So I was coming up with this like Abbey road level conspiracy. I was like, Oh my God, Damon died. Something happened. (laughs) (laughs) Why does only half his face appear on the cover? I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like horribly disfigured. Like what happened to Damon? Um, but I guess that after, the previous album failed to take off. Like he left the group and then their record label just opts to like smush all this random music together and just say, here's a farewell album from this group. We're not going to promote it. We're never going to show you these people again. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. But this song that ends the album, I wish you peace. It opens up with this like acoustic guitar strum and then it moves into kind of more of a, like an R and B tinged song. Like to me, there were, there were aspects of it that felt a little bit like, um, like those TLC songs that mixed a little bit of like guitar with R and B, like unpretty and those songs. Right. And again, it's Dee Dee. Dee 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 just blows my mind with her vocals. I don't know. This song, this song appeared fully appeared on mixtapes that I gave to people through 1997. (laughs) It's very, um, Almost ahead of its time in that it seems like it would be good on like a teen romantic comedy movie soundtrack mm-hmm. later in the 90s. Yeah. Like to your point about like it's it's a very it's almost like I mean for lack of a better comparison like a, a, a Mandy Moore type of <laughs> like mid tempo. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like kind of. Yeah. It's, 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 it, 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 to it, me it feels like a little out of 
out of time. Out of time. Like, like it almost feels like it should have been later in the 90s, not in like 93. Yeah. Because it, it at the time, to me, it didn't even register as a pop song. It's like, that's how out of time it was. Because yeah. pop at, in 1993 had a different sound. Yeah. Like we were still, in 1993, like SWV, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was that thing, it was that thing we talked about with SWV where like, there is a period of time where like bubblegum pop disappears Mm -hmm. and then what we knew as pop music in the early 90s was mostly r&b music Mm -hmm. and then music just kind of takes this divergent course between r&b and alternative music through the 90s only for bubblegum pop to like resurge in the late Mm -hmm. 90s Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like for the vast majority of the 90s like bubblegum pop type of music was like nowhere to be found in the states at least yeah yeah i mean this song sounds very like (laughs) vh1e like when vh1 was like for ladies, quote unquote, <laughs> like at the, you know, like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, this, right? could be, it was like I, this could be like the, you know, the ending credit song to like a lifetime original movie mm-hmm. or like a playing over like a Dawson's Creek when they're like, you know, they're, they're like showing um, the cast is like, it's not any sound, but they're like putting in the coffee shop and it's panning back yeah. and people are going about their business. I'm fully thinking like Tori Spelling as a rape survivor who comes to terms with, you know, her ordeal after yes. her, the perpetrator has received justice. Yes. Or punishment. Yes. Yes. And she's driving off in her convertible on mm-hmm. a dirt road, leaving for her future. But like, New York but like her, but like, but like, if you focus on her eyes, she's thinking. <laughs> Yeah, they cut they cut to a shot of her eyes in the rearview mirror, <laughs> looking yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, the sun's kind of going down. Yeah. So, um. Oh God, have we gone totally sideways on this? No, no, no. We're still talking about why. Okay, we're still talking. You know, okay, I mean, so I mean, so that's one thing is that I think my point there was that there is this mishmash of musical output. It culminates in just kind of like this last like data dump of mm-hmm. mishmash music, which I still think there's some. There's some gems in this album. Even the first song, Moving On, which is a Chase song, I really like that song. That fully might have appeared in mixtapes for me through like 1995, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Another issue that I kind of saw happening when I kind of dug around in all the Wikipedia pages for this was the status of Hollywood records at that time. Okay. The party at least on their Wikipedia page, their Wikipedia page is completely unsighted. So who knows who's writing this? It's probably them, right? The party is the first group signed to Hollywood Records. So Hollywood Records is purchased. Nope. Nope. Hollywood Records is launched by Disney and um, Mm -hmm. Michael Eisner in 1989, the same year that the Mickey Mouse Club launches. And Hollywood Records is created for Disney to make their way into more mature more mainstream musical output because prior to this they had been releasing things under um the walt disney records imprint which was mostly like their their animation soundtracks and stuff like that right Mm -hmm. it was all decidedly disney stuff but Uh, well yeah i also just (laughs) was reading that their their first major label success happened in 90 1990 when they acquired the north american distribution rights to queen's entire catalog Okay, yeah, and this is so. This is the thing, right? Is like, 
kind of contrary, I think, to traditional business, big business wisdom. Like mm-hmm. people were wondering why Disney didn't opt to acquire an existing label with an existing catalog, with an existing stable of artists that they could then essentially be making money from day one rather mm-hmm. than starting up a whole new company with no artists, no catalog, no roster, no nothing. The proposition basically being that they were going to be losing money on this for a while, right? Yeah. And yeah, to your point, like they had a big win when they got the rights to Queen and signed Queen. Unfortunately, they signed Queen in 1990 and then Freddie Mercury died of AIDS. Mm -hmm. So on the upside, like they were able to make a lot of money off of Queen's catalog. Unfortunately, from that point forward, for the foreseeable future anyway, Queen was not going to be making any new music. I, I wonder, I wonder, you know how they've been touring with like Adam Lambert? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's all still part of the Hollywood Records deal. I don't know. I, I was looking up Queen's discography, and it looks like at some point their recordings were licensed under um, Universal. Hmm. But I, th- I think that Hollywood Records is now distributed through Universal, so I'm not quite sure hmm. what the connection is. But everything through the early '90s was released by Hollywood Records, so they did like they they re-released like live albums and stuff at okay. that time. Okay. Around that time, a lot of stuff was being reissued because CDs were suddenly much more accessible. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of Queen's stuff was probably vinyl and cassette. And so just to get a hold of that catalog, just to be able to sell it on CD was probably a big deal for them. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the same time, Hollywood Records was making poor decisions that they um, they passed on signing Nirvana. They mm. passed on signing Dr. Dre. <laughs> um, they passed on signing Smashing Pumpkins. And... So a lot of this was chalked up to the fact that the person that was put in charge of running Hollywood records at that time had no background in the music industry. Uh. Right. Because like, I feel like to in 1989 or 90 sign Nirvana, Dr. Dre or the smashing pumpkins, it would have taken a little bit of foresight. Yeah. In music industry yeah. wise, like they weren't, something that you necessarily would have heard maybe in 1989 or 1990 as a music consumer and thought this is going to be huge. Yeah. But ostensibly, if you're maybe a little bit more into the music industry, you would hear the potential of that and know that that's where music is going to be headed very shortly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, they make this series of missteps. And so primarily it's, the queen catalog making money for them. And then they've got the party making it's no money for them. Um, yeah. I mean, who knows? Right. I don't think Well, they, it's funny that they got Dr. Dre to be on like the second album. Yeah. I don't think that they you ever know. even have like a gold, a gold record, which is like 500,000 yeah. copies. Well, like their, their number one, I mean, the highest charting one was, uh, in my dreams, in my dreams. and it was like what number 35 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I will, I will say this though tangent when i bought the cassette tape for in the meantime in between time in 1991 it shipped with the most awesome fucking hologram (laughs) like in front of in like in the cassette case in front of the actual cover of the album there was like a hologram so on the shelf it was like a a portrait of the band and then it like you know you tilt it side to side and it was almost like a what are those things called? The lenticulars? Lenticulars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah, almost yeah, like, yeah. but it was like so way more high else. tech than that. It was, it was amazing. And it was, you know, wow. it was like a rainbow of color. It's just prismographic wonderment in 1991. So, 
so they were really trying to <laughs> just they were trying to hypnotize yeah people. money money well spent i'm sure um <laughs> I think that, yeah, you know, I think what's, what's interesting, you know, you talk about how, you know, the third one didn't have the third album didn't have any promotion and, you know, just the avenues for distributing the music and discovering it. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things that you've really like, I don't know if you still do. Do you still listen to Disney radio? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. Does it exist? You, I, can, you don't have oh, radio, you don't radio have to radio lie, Barry. No. Radio Disney. Isn't it? I, okay. I mean, you I don't have to know. lie. No. It Not used really. to be a preset on I your don't car. really listen to... Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, I haven't been in my car <laughs> in like eight months, so I don't even listen to the sure. radio anymore. So for eight months, you haven't listened to it? <laughs> no. Oh, no. You know what happened? Um, radio Disney was an AM station for a long time, so that's an automatic uh-huh. now. Um, well, then yeah. they got transferred over to... Um, HD radio. So, um, hmm. God, what the fuck is that station? Like serious? Well, th- no, there's like a, uh, what's the oldie station now? Oh, like one of, it was like 101 point. 101.1? Yeah, 101.1. Whatever that one K- is. Ra- uh, K- K-Earth. Is that K-Earth? K-Earth 101? Oh, Wasn't God. it K-Earth? Something like that? Anyway. And then it changed. Anyway, K- yeah. the, 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 the 101.1.2, mm-hmm. right? On HD uh, radio. That became like oh. the stereo distributor of Radio Disney, at which point, yes, I did start to listen to it then. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. then they 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 pulled it back. I think, I don't even know if Radio Disney exists anymore, maybe. Because it, I don't it know. abruptly changed back to some other format of station. No, I think it does. I think it does, but I think it's on satellite radio oh. or something. But, but the reason I bring it up is because I was looking at the history of Radio Disney, and it didn't start until 96. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the party, it, it's almost like, they didn't have their own method of distributing it and popularizing it, right? Yeah. It's like that came too late for this band, which is which is interesting because radio was so important through the nineties. It, it it is that thing, I think, where radio the advent of Radio Disney in the late nineties, it signaled the beginning that pop was coming back. Mm-hmm. You know? I yeah. remember, and I think much, in yeah. the early days of Radio Disney, it was a lot of British stuff because bubblegum pop music was still kind of a thing. And we were mm-hmm. getting, that's when we were getting like the Spice Girls. I guess Steps was later and S Club mm-hmm. 7. I was thinking about like Steps and S Club 7 because that format of the co-ed pop vocal group is yeah. a thing elsewhere. It's just something that we haven't yeah. been able to like really get into over here. I mean, with the exception of, Fleetwood Mac. Well, but that was a band. They were like, I know. I'm. I'm just. I'm just. Because every other example I could think of, it's like, well, you think of like ABBA or you think of Ace of Base, but it's like, yeah, well, none, none of those are American. But like, the, it was more like there was a definite lead vocal sound, and then mm-hmm. the other people were doing other. Well, things. it's like the women, the singers. Yeah, like the, there's a recognizable yeah. sound to it versus yeah, like, yeah. I feel like S Club 7, I mean, S Club 7 was primarily, I think it was primarily Rachel Stevens' voice, but there was occasionally like the guys would sing, you know, and I feel like it's yeah. a mishmash, it's kind of a mix up and like, I'm going to take this tangent really quick, but like to go into this co-ed um, pop vocal group thing, I was thinking about Scene 23. Did I talk to you about Scene 23? No. So you remember the CW television reality program, Pop Stars? Yes. Which produced Eden's Crush, starring Nicole Scherzinger. Yes. Get over yourself, goodbye, something or another. The second season of Pop Stars, they had guys and girls in it, and they formed this pop group 
out of two boys, three girls, one of whom was Ashley Simpson's future ex-boyfriend, Josh Henderson, future star of Dynasty, the Dynasty reboot. Oh. You'd know him if you saw him. I'm, oh yeah, okay. He was, he's a singer? Yeah. They were a part of this co-ed pop group called Scene 23 that released, released this really weird song called I Really Don't Think So. I think they had actually like a full album come out. But again, it's that thing of like, no one here wants that, right? Yeah. And I was reading this like write-up about pop groups and like how in the United States anyway, the way that we market boy bands and girl groups is very different. And they're all marketed towards like young girls, right? And then if you're marketing a boy band, you're marketing those boys as heartthrobs, as your your potential love interest when you're like a teenage girl, right? Yeah. But if you're marketing a girl group, you're marketing those girls as like the personalities that you want to emulate. So when you're thinking about, you know, how to style someone or what image to project from those people, like you're trying to do those two very different things with these with boys versus girls. And so then they were saying like, when you mix up boys and girls into the same group, it becomes hard to mix those two things up where you have to try and project the boys as objects of affection versus the girls as what you aspire to be paired with like confusion over boys and girls dating. Right. Like, I feel like there would be a little bit of cognitive dissonance where you'd be like, Oh, I think the guy's really hot. I want to be this girl. But I also suspect that this girl is probably dating this guy, so I hate her. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't go. I mean, yes, I, yes. <laughs> That's where I would go. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't. Know, I didn't know about them, so I don't think I had the chance to have that thought experiment. Well, just in general, um, just in general, when I think about, well, no, I guess I really haven't. Sorry, I, I, I think you really were talking about. I went on a tangent about. because I realized how I knew Josh Henderson. Or whatever. And it's he was the hot guy in that movie Leeches. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember watching Leeches? Leeches. And he like he gets tied to the bed. Oh, we watched that at your apartment. Yes, he gets tied to the bed in his underwear and then gets attacked in slow motion by leeches. Can we talk about I mean, this is completely one hundred percent off topic, but there are those movies. We rented a lot of them from Hollywood Video on VHS. Or was it DVD? I guess it was DVD. But it's funny because you look through those directors and those actors Mm -hmm. and stuff. And a lot of them are in these B horror homoerotic thrillers. Mm -hmm. And I just think about, you know, the, all the allegations about Hollywood and the things that happen in Hollywood, the things that people make people do or the things that people do to achieve fame and stuff like that. And I just think, God, like these guys, these heterosexual men all moved to LA with a dream. <laughs> Where's this going? No, you know what I'm saying? Like they moved to LA <laughs> with the dream yeah. of stardom. They probably uh-huh. like waiting tables and um, a producer, and a, a producer in- just starts coming onto them and they're like, Oh, Hey, this is it. This is my big break. Right. Uh-huh. And then you end up starring in leeches. And remember the leeches were like, they look literally like sock puppets. It was like a, and you it could was like a black finger condom on someone's finger. <laughs> yeah, and you could, but it was on their hand and you could like see it like moving like someone's hand in there. And it's just like crawling on the, it was so stupid. But yeah, I mean, anyway, yes. Anyway, but, follow your dreams, but, but, but you know, protect yourself guys. Yeah. But I mean like the, the avenues, like yeah. to your point, the avenues and, and for him to be in that and then be in this 
pop stars reality show to be in a pop group and then and to then be ashley simpson's boyfriend ashley simpson's yes uh boyfriend um famous not ryan cabrera that's where i thought no. you were going with it oh no no no, no. um and I know. And then, um, and now to be on Dallas. And I look at him, he's like 39. It's like, we're the, you know, what? Like, wow. He made it. The history. The history. He made it. He he became the equivalent, the blonde equivalent of, um, oh God. Is he Heather Locklear? No, he's the blonde equivalent of um, John Tucker Must Die. What's that guy's name? Oh, no, he's not that famous anymore. No, they're, they're but no, I'm saying that they're equivalent now. Oh no! But he's on an actual. Is wait? Is I think were they, weren't they both on Dallas or Dynasty together? But oh. they they look like the same person to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was his name? Jesse Metcalf. Jesse Metcalf. Yeah, they're like the yeah, same. The same he, he, so he made it. He made it out of the Leeches movie and into our hearts. You know, he can probably he probably owns a home. Yeah, totally. I hope. Oh God, I hope. Invest wisely, guys. Take yeah. that Leeches money and run. Um. <laughs> Where were 20, we? <laughs> Twenty years ago. Anyway. Twenty years later. Um, we're, we're well. We were talking about the weird, you know, the 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 just. just How did we get here? The dynamics anyway, of that a was co-ed my, group. Yeah, and... that was my tangent about co-ed pop groups because we were previous to that. I'm looking back at my unstructured notes. Oh, Hollywood Records. <laughs> we were talking about Hollywood Records. Hollywood Records had taken some missteps. They got Queen. They lost Queen. They passed on a bunch of big soon to be big musical act. They have the party on their roster and the higher ups at Disney are not happy with this. Right. Yeah. Like they knew what they were getting into by starting a record label from scratch. They didn't think it would take this long to, I don't know, get like one hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, yeah. in 1993, actually the whole Hollywood records stuff is drastically cut back. And Mm -hmm. the guy that had been hired to run Hollywood records is let go. And I think that this is where, um, the party's over. Thanks for coming kind of falls into place is like, it, it really explains the lack of promotion. It explains the fact that it feels and sounds kind of like a dump of just anything that they could put out. Okay. And then it also kind of explains why the whole thing just kind of disappears after that. Because after, after 1993, Hollywood records kind of goes a little quiet. And they kind of they kind of have to regroup a little bit. Interestingly enough, they cut back on Hollywood records. They dropped the party. The shooting of the Mickey Mouse Club goes on for another year. From what I read, the Mickey Mouse Club actually stops shooting in towards the end of 1994. And so, okay. like, that crop of kids that was, like, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, they were only there for, like, a year of shooting. And then the show got canceled. But because of the way that, the weird way that Disney Channel was treating the Mickey Mouse Club at that point, that, like, it went from five days a week to four days a week down to one day a week, they stretched mm. out that last season's worth of episodes into 1996. Oh. Yeah. And I remember this thinking, like, oh, like, when I would randomly catch it, because it was only on once a week and the time slot changed, it'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, like this show's still on. That's cool. But, you know, in 1994, essentially, they kind of cut this show lo- loose like it's a lost cause. And mm-hmm. in the process, they kind of miss out. Because I think what's happening between the start of the show towards the end of the show is that 
that tween demographic is changing. I think that when you look at the old episodes of the Mickey Mouse Club, it seems very, very young. Yeah. It's the kind of stuff today that you would show to like seven and eight year olds. Yeah. But fully with 14 year old kids. Right. And so Mm. as the idea that, you know, it's like the whole 13 going on 30 idea, right? That young kids are increasingly more mature. So I think that there was a struggle with as those kids were getting older and their images were changing and the show was changing. I kind of remember feeling like, oh, like the Mickey Mouse Club is getting very risque for a Disney Channel thing. Mm. Just in terms of like how wild they were letting the kids like style themselves and stuff. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the short bangs and the scrunchies anymore. Were you still, wait, so you were still watching? You were still watching like, because I guess you would have been almost 16, right? Um, By the time it finally went off the air. when I was like 14. 15 or 15 I want to say mm. like the styling was just changing so it was it was definitely changing like they it, they had actually introduced this whole like soap opera serial kind of show into the mix oh. it was really it was really like interesting to see what was happening to the show at that time and like why those decisions were being made but the show kind of you know after that I guess for whatever reason it wasn't working they shut down production on the show but essentially if you think about it a particular way, they potentially missed out on cultivating the careers of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and Justin Timberlake. Because at that point, all those people were cut loose. They all end up yeah. with Jive, right? Or RCA. Yeah. yeah. Sony Music Yeah, Because yeah. yeah. Christina was off doing her own thing, trying to like yeah. make a recording career happen. Like, wasn't being nurtured by them. Yeah. And so at that point, other record companies are obviously seeing the potential that this is actually where music is going. But Hollywood Records has essentially just cut themselves out of the game. I mean, yeah, it just seems like they're not not clever. Yeah, it's after this, though, that like when you see the success of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake or NSYNC, and you see the resurgence of pop music in the United States, that then Disney and the Disney Channel, they reinvest back into that strategy that they originally had with the party, right? Which was like you develop and you cultivate talent when they're young. So you take Hillary Duff, you give her a television show when she's like 11 years old. Mm-hmm. The Jonas Brothers. Yeah. They develop a fan base when they're, they develop this fan base when they're very young so that by the time that they're 15 or 16, their fans are also 15 or 16. And it's like an easy cross promotion to then get these kids to start buying their music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, like, like I said, like Hillary Duff, Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, the Jonas Brothers, like they all benefited. Ariana Grande to some point. Well, Ariana Grande was a Nickelodeon kid. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. Sorry. The exception. Similar model. Yeah. I know. Um, I mean, Nickelodeon did not do well, though, because they only got Ariana no. Grande. They, they tried with uh, Victoria Justice. Um, Miranda. That sounds like an old lady, doesn't it? Miranda Cosgrove. Like starring Victoria Justice. Miranda Cosgrove. I, do you know who that is, though? Miranda Cosgrove also sounds old, too. She's, she was Icar, iCarly. She was yeah, iCarly. Yeah, yeah. I think she tried a singing career, but like, she seemed too wholesome. She never grew out of being wholesome. Like, Ariana mm-hmm. Grande on Nickelodeon was very wholesome looking, and then she kind of, she got like the glow up or whatever. Miranda Cosgrove oh, never graduated the... on that. Miranda Cosgrove, <laughs> I swear, I get like the artless.io YouTube ads for like stock footage. Yeah. And I swear to God, I've seen Miranda Cosgrove in one of those ads. <laughs> I don't think it is, but it, I, every time I see it, I'm like, is that Miranda Cosgrove? Is that iCarly? <laughs> um, so. Anyway. Um, yeah, no. So, so yeah, they live in out, and, but then they, they double down. They double they, down on it once it yeah. becomes more of a proven format. You know, I was thinking about like the Cheetah Girls, right? 
Raven Simone. I bought Raven Simone's debut album on Hollywood Records. Girl, the reason I know Raven Simone like as much as I do is because of you. Yeah. Because we used to watch that. That's so Raven, yeah. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens. Flying through. Remember Vanessa Hudgens had like two albums until until her her scandal. uh, Zach Efron. Yeah. Was part of that whole high school musical thing. I think that's I mean, I I always wonder if that scandal, um, her nude photo scandal, like completely tanked her music career. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, that was like, cause she had, she was just done with high school musical and granted she was like 19, but like, and then it's a picture that she sent to Zac Efron, right? Which is, which means that like for that picture to leak, like Zac Efron showed that picture to someone. Anyway, poor Vanessa, RIP Vanessa Hudgens. Um, She's still around as far as Mimi. Her musical career is dead. She was Mimi in um, the Hollywood Bowl version of Rent. Wasn't she terrible? She was <laughs> She was. Yeah, I she was so upkey. <laughs> oh my I god. I wonder if it's because it's like a, I wonder if it's because sure. it's like a big the Hollywood bowl is like a big Whatever, Nicole place. Scherzinger as uh what's it Maureen was amazing. But so. I, again, like I feel like maybe Nicole Scherzinger is yeah. used to maybe big outdoor arena singing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I th- yeah. I hear that that can actually be very disorienting. Oh, really? And confusing. Uh, Nicole Scherzinger, uh, the the pussycat doll. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying. She never sings. Vanessa, oh. Vanessa Hudgens, um, she redeemed herself in uh, Grease Live. Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh. Oh, no, she wasn't in Jesus Christ No, Superstar. she was on Grease Live. Oh, no, wait. Oh, she was. Um, no, yeah, yeah. Grease Live. She was um, Stockard Channing. <laughs> Rizzo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens as Stalker Channing. You know, you know, it's really funny because I didn't, I didn't grow up with rent. I didn't grow up with Greece. Um, and it, I remember like going to like school dances in middle school and high school, and everyone knew Greece, like because they would always play like Greece songs. And so I, I, I knew the songs, and I, I understood that it was in pop culture, but like I didn't really, I never really seen the movie. And I think to this day, I've only seen it maybe once all the way through. I don't think I've ever um, seen it all the way through. Yeah, and and so. My reference for Rizzo is from the Muppet. Oh, the mouse. And Riz is he a, isn't he a rat? Rat, fine. <laughs> so whenever I hear Rizzo, I'm like, oh, the rat. And it's like, no, it's Stalker Channing. <laughs> but also, like, no one talks about Grease too. And oh, like Grease Two name in it. Fully the He's far hot. superior. Uh Gosh, uh, the most Brit- no, the most British of British Max- names. Yeah, Maxwell. Yeah, Maxwell. Caulfield. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Just Hot. like, why did no one talk about that? Well, wait, because um, were you were you with us the year that Outfest did the Grease Two sing along? I was not. Oh, it's funny because um, Grease Two, hands down, for me, far superior to Grease One. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, which Maxwell you have not seen. Which <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, I've seen enough of it. I've seen bits and pieces okay. of it to know that I okay. could not make it through that whole movie. But Grease 2, far yeah. superior. Um, Outfest here in LA, they always do like a sing-along mm. movie. Outdoor screen at the Ford Amphitheater. And I forget who it was that we knew that was involved or had like a contact at the committee. And the committee was kind of trying to figure out like, what do we do this year for Outfest? And um, I was like, oh, Grease 2 amazing grease Two, do grease Two, because especially because i feel like grease Two should have a bigger gay following because of maxwell caulfield he is yeah so hot in that movie and mm-hmm. literally i i remember that the response to it was like 
are you fucking kidding me? Like they did it. Like they totally bought into this idea of doing Grease 2. And I think they got Maxwell Caulfield's like daughter to come and speak. <laughs> um, but um, people were like pissed. People were like, are you serious? Like Grease 2 is terrible. Really? Yeah. I think it was like very poorly attended too, but I was thrilled. So, so are, are you responsible for the failure of this event? I think so. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You it wasn't it that bad. First. I mean, it, it definitely was not sold out, but I think that everyone there had a rockin' good time. All four of you. <laughs> no, it was it was fully like it was maybe like eighty percent full at the Ford. Okay. I just think that normally for those sing-alongs, like they get like sure. cult class. I mean, Grease Two is a cult classic, but like they usually yeah, yeah, get yeah. like a yeah. full house to like. You can only do so many. You can only do like the fucking Sound of Music so many times. Yeah, or, or like uh, Rocky Horror or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. um, see great, see Grease Two, um, send Maxwell Caulfield some love. Um, who's famously not part of the party? Not part of the party. Neither is Josh Henderson, but you should. Watch the Legis movie if you can get a hold of it. It's pretty um, good. Pretty terrible. There's like all these like vampire coven movies with shirtless men. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Anyway. And it was all, it, yeah, it was all bubbling there underneath. And it's funny too, because I feel like in that time, like for some reason we didn't have a lot of. Oh my of... God. Sorry. Maxwell Caulfield's sister-in-law is Haley Mills. Oh, good for them. Love it. Yeah. Good morning, Miss Bliss. But, um. Oh, there weren't there weren't a lot of like openly gay entertainment options of any significant quality, of any insignificant no. quality. No. Gay no. shit in the late '90s, early 2000s was handy cam terrible. I mean, it was either you were in a homoerotic movie about ostensibly straight frat boys. That was the thing is like all of it was homoerotic. Yeah. It was never. Yeah. But that was the only way you could get quote unquote quality. You'd get the straight shirtless buff dudes to be in this movie about vampires or leeches. Remember White Squall? Yeah. You don't, so you don't, but you don't get the actual like, what was it? Like uh, Dante's Cove? Was that a thing? No, no. And I mean, even that's trash, but like it's, (laughs) you know, it's like. (laughs) I just remember that we would always go to the video store and look for like gay film to watch. And there was a film that we rented starring Jim J. Bullock and it looked like it was shot on a super eight <laughs> handy cam. And I think we turned it off within like the first 10 minutes because it had the most poorly shot, poorly edited, poorly conceived of car crash. Do you remember <laughs> that? It was, I do. it was really bizarre. Like, I feel like there's very good cinematic ways to fake a car crash Mm-hmm. And then there's what they did in this Jim J. Bullock movie, which, you know, if you want to relive those times, have you gone on Amazon Prime and like you go to their like gay movie section mm. and it's all like the strand releasing mm-hmm. like label and you can always watch like a minute preview of most of them and they are so 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 bad. Do you remember the time we rented the movie? Maybe it was just Eric and I, and we were watching this movie, and we're like, "There's something about this that's." It's like they were in prison. These two guys were in prison, and it was kind of like they were lovers, but it, it was like very sexy. There was just something about the action and and the sex and all that that seemed there was you couldn't put our finger on it. Then okay, so then we find out because then they're also terrible actors, okay. right? And it's it's this sort of weird movie. 
Then I think we did some Googling and we realized that what this company had done was they had taken a hardcore pornographic movie (laughs) and edited out the hardcore scenes and created like a quote unquote normal movie. Like a feature length film? Yes. Yes. Around just like the spoken parts of a porn movie. And like some of the non like hardcore footage of the sex scene. All just the 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 partially closed like for the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the close ups or whatever, you know, and you're oh, we're like, Oh <laughs> you know, like what? <laughs> These so are the things that these are, these are the movie. things that you cannot figure out in the days of just walking down no. the aisles of Hollywood video. No. And and you know what? That doesn't happen now. Yeah. We we'd like to I'd like to hope. You've got fucking like love Simon now, so it's whatever. Yeah. Which I'm, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> anyway, in conclusion, <laughs> the party. The party. The party. And none of whom are gay. None of whom are gay that we know. That we know of. Um, the party. You know, in the end, where I end up with this is that the party just feels like this grand experiment by Disney. They tested it and it didn't work out for them. And then these people were kind of caught in the crossfire, they just kind of got chopped off the bottom. At the end of it. <laughs> no? <laughs> Why that, that, no, it's... <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. It's just so... It makes me feel bad for them because I feel yeah. like... Yeah. If it weren't part of this experiment where they're trying to create synergy between their pay cable network and their record label to develop talent, and then they realize that they can't take the training wheels off this band. Like that's, that's how I kind of feel about it is that like Mm. the aspiration was Hollywood records would be the mature independent pop music, rock music label owned by Disney. And so you use the Disney channel, you use the Mickey mouse club to kind of launch these people. And then you hope that at some point, Promotion will take over, MTV will pick it up, magazines, whatever, will pick this up and you can take the training wheels off, right? Yeah. Because at the point where you realize like the only way that people know that albums are coming out from this band is because they have to announce it on the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. And that they can't really get beyond that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't have any other distribution channel. They don't have ways of amplifying it within their own channel. Yeah, you realize like, oh shit, like if you're Disney and you're thinking, well... One, this Mickey Mouse Club thing is, it, it, we're getting waning results from this show. Yeah. And that's the only thing that's propping up this one act we have signed to our label. Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, you just go like, you know what? We're cutting the training wheels off. We're throwing this last album out to the public. We're not going to tell anyone that it's out. And good luck. <laughs> Basically, they threw them to the wolves. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and to follow up on that, because again, D.D. Magno is my um, Asian American entertainment industry hero. Mm-hmm. Well, she was when I was a child, but she still is, you know. She still is. And she, she, you know, she had a, she's had some successful runs on Broadway and on national touring companies. She, uh, I didn't even know. I've watched Steven Universe before. I did not know that she's mm-hmm. the voice of Pearl. Yeah. And that's a very popular show. Yeah. She said, I think it ran for like six years. So good for her. Mm-hmm. Hope that yeah. hopefully that got her more money than Josh Henderson did for leeches. Look, <laughs> she's living her best Dallas. life. And I mean, and it's interesting because um, in 2013, the group actually reunited minus Tiffany. There's no word on 
exactly what the circumstances are. I think that like the basic understanding is that like Tiffany is enjoying life as a private figure. Yes. I saw that. She's like, does not want to be contacted. Yeah. It was, I mean, I remember there were, there were fan discussions about like kind of what had happened to her life in the aftermath of the party. And that maybe Mm -hmm. like, you know, her further attempts to remain a public figure were less than healthy for her. Mm. And so that might've played a role in it, but for whatever reason, um, you know, Dee Dee, Chase, Albert, and Damon reunited in 2013, kind of casually. I think I joined like their Facebook group at that point. And they started oh, re-releasing wow. music in 2018, I think, or 2019. Started re-recording, like started recording new music. And the whole time I was like, when are your classic albums going to be available? Like, I can't even find these, this shit anywhere. And so it was a big deal, I think, to fans when it was like, oh, like on the 30 year anniversary, basically, of their debut they were able to get the rights to like get this music back out into the public sphere. And Oh my God. What? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm reading about salute to summer. Oh, it it elicited that reaction. Well, you know, it's this, the Rogers review. Okay. So salute, salute, salute to summer. That's one of their um, new songs after they reunited. Yes. Yeah. So salute to summer quote. So quote salute to summer is the perfect anthem for the wondrous summer experiences young men and women have, whether it's a summer romance, a long anticipated vacation or a pool party held in their parents' backyard. These Disney alums have shed their innocent Mickey Mouse club exteriors and have allowed the viewing audience into their party extravaganza, which includes finding their friends emerging from random bedrooms after anonymous sexual encounters (laughs) and drinking alcoholic beverages on a boat while dancing with bikini clad women. While this is not a Disney party, I think it's safe to say that even Mickey would have had an awesome time on board with this crew. (laughs) Who is this? Is this? That's great. These people are all forty-five now. <laughs> oh my lantern! I wow. wasn't ready for that. Um, <laughs> and to be to be to be clear, like I I didn't really like any of the new music that they released. <laughs> okay, but um, I was sad because uh, you know this is the thirty-year anniversary of the party debut. Last year was the thirty-year anniversary of the Mickey Mouse Club. And they did a whole MMC 30 reunion event at Disneyland. And I was very strongly considering going. I don't remember why I didn't do it. You were at the food cart in California Adventure. No, for some reason we didn't even go to, I I think I brought it up and I was like, fuck, it's too late to go to Disneyland. But they reunited and they had a bunch of the old cast back. And then Dee Dee, Chase, and Damon, there's a video of this on YouTube. They actually reunited to perform In My Dreams, like live on stage. And it was amazing. Yeah. Dee Dee still got it. You would have really enjoyed that. I don't know why, I don't know why Albert wasn't there, but Dee Dee still got it. Or, or... Oh no, you said Damon was there. Damon was there again, not singing a lick. He's like the hype man. He, he he's the hype man. Which oh, is he, weird. he he did the he did a very intense dance break. Because I think oh. if you watch the uh, the party footage from the '90s, like part of their thing was like they were all Dancing. dancers, right? So they were oh. all they they were very they had very intense like Running Man Roger Rabbit moments. But more recently, like if you watch some of their reunions, it's a lot more of like step, touch, step, touch, step, touch. It's like that until the dance break. And then Damon goes, got it. Buck wild. 
Got it. So he shows his his value to the group. The uh, the song is "I Wish You Peace." I I wish I wish you all peace. I wish the party peace. <laughs> it's re- it's been received. <laughs> I received. You received some peace. Okay, I'm glad for that. Um, well, thank you for introdu- You know, for talking us through this because I have no connection to the Mickey Mouse Club. Okay. Uh, and therefore had no connection to this group. Um, it was really interesting to listen to their music. And um, she's your Filipina you know, the... sister, Jason. I know. Well, look, she's I stand that one her girl from in Sister Act, Act Two. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that thing of like two, where like I, I don't know if everyone knows this, but like Filipinos are like the Asians that can sing. It's like widely accepted. Yeah, as a Filipino, I cosign. Jason in- included. Jason included. I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, like, like, you know, Filipinos are like the guy working the cart at the mall selling the karaoke machines. <laughs> right. Like he's just busting yeah. out like journey. And this is the yeah, guy that yeah, just yeah. works the cart amazing. at the mall. Mm-hmm. And like, I will say like we went to karaoke at um, that bar in Burbank for my birthday a couple years ago. Ah, uh, yeah. The Wait, that was the one that had the fried chicken. The, best fried chicken it's closed now mm-hmm. but they had the best mm-hmm. fried chicken and they had karaoke nights we went there for my birthday mm-hmm. and i will say that like when you take the mic it's like it's like a moment where people all stop i don't know if you know that like you've got a really good singing voice and i think our listeners <laughs> should know that you've got a very good singing voice <laughs> because it, it, i don't know if it's because you're kind of unassuming when you go up to take the mic and then you, a song comes on and it's never the song that people would think a man would be singing. <laughs> <laughs> and you can sense a little bit of trepidation in the room about like, what are we about to witness? And then you start singing and there's like palpable relief and awe. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so kudos. No, I, I, really, I really was not aware of all of that. You're too focused on your lyric. That's why. I'm too busy being like, don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. Okay. Anyway. Um, anyway. Enjoy the party. They're over. No, they're back. The party's still going. <laughs> enjoy it. It's available on Spotify. They're enjoying anonymous sex on a boat. Wait, but can it really be anonymous sex if like the three of them know each other for like 30 years? I guess it's not with each other. And it's all being recorded on film. Yeah, well, you know, they're consenting adults. So. Was it them? Or was it their friends? I don't know. I didn't friends. watch it. I haven't tainted my YouTube search results with... No, don't do it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, right. um, what are, where is my script? What are we doing? Who's it? Who is it? <laughs> oh, it's me. It's you. Take us take us out, Jason. You know, you know, a special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopperdeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And check us out on social at flopperdeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopperdeemer. And email us at flopperdeemer at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or complaints. 